The following stories are shared consensually by everyday people living with bipolar disorder. As a friendly note, we are not acting as licensed therapists or providing therapeutic services. We are providing a safe space for people with bipolar disorder to share their stories uninterrupted. Stories may mention the use of drugs, alcohol, and or suicidality. If you feel triggered and in need of help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 988. My name is Sabrina. I'm Gritty Jem. And this is the Bipolar AF Podcast. How's it going? It's our very uh, first episode. Oh, it is. It's very exciting. I'm fabulous. How are you? Are you excited for this podcast? I am. I am super excited. I'm interested in learning more about people and what their lives look like and you know I'm always interested in hearing people's stories because there's always pieces where I can relate myself um, even though I know that you and I had discussed um, when first beginning this whole project right you yourself are a bipolar person I'm not Um, so I think that having that different perspective and being able to maybe not so much relate but provide that platform for other people will be very interesting. I mean, how much do you know about bipolar people just in general? Um, I know that it is a, a very stigmatized disorder that people have. Um, you know, society isn't necessarily very open to accepting bipolar. I think that that's, it's made leaps over time, but um, I, I just don't think that society has the right grasp on what it truly is, right? Because you have people always saying things like, oh, I'm so, you're so bipolar, um, or I'm so bipolar, just because, like, you quickly, fl- you know, not flipped emotions, I don't feel like that's the right term for it, but, like, switched emotions, right, uh, even though something very blatantly just happened that made sense why you would go from happy to mad or whatever the case is, um, so I just think it's very misunderstood, and I'd like to learn more about it, because I'll be honest with you, I haven't had many patients with it. As someone who's bipolar, I can tell you you're right, and there's a lot of things that you probably don't know about and that I don't even know about because everyone has such a individualized experience. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to Carly's story. So everyone that we speak to, we actually don't know their story ahead of time. So we're listening as they tell us. I personally would like to note that if a friend or a family – is listening and they think that that's not the the version they know of the story. That's that's okay. Um, perspectives are all different, and the person who's speaking is definitely going to have a different perspective of you. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people tend to forget about in general when they hear a story or someone's experience. That uh, especially if they were there, so. I hope that people do start learning about another another person's perspective. So this podcast actually came about because I personally have experienced so much in my journey and my non-linear journey, as I can say it, um, with severe highs and lows. And I personally think that there's not a lot of stories told If you're interested in participating in our podcast, please go to our website, thebipolarafpodcast.com. You can find all our contact information on there. 
I think the coolest thing about this whole podcast is that it is what I didn't realize originally is just one of the very little platforms that bipolar people have um, or people with bipolar disorder have, you know, to actually like listen in from other people, you know, that relational aspect. Yeah. And I hope eventually this podcast will grow and maybe we'll talk to family and people will further affect it. But as of right now, I think the podcast will really be focused on the in, the individual that we and that is willing to come on it because that in itself is very powerful and will help destigmatize just people that have it because people that are bipolar are not it doesn't define them it should it doesn't it doesn't always define people there's a lot of successful bipolar people and 100%. people have it yeah people have a generalization out of that they're always depressed that they can't hold down a job they and that's very true that's very true for a lot of people but it's because there's a lot of there's not a lot of hope because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of people sharing their stories enough that are successful because we're kind of there's no there's not a lot of places for bipolar people to go i mean there's reddit you know there's definitely different communities but i don't i don't know maybe i didn't search hard enough but i don't i didn't see any podcasts personally i could be very wrong um that just focused on individual stories but without being like a complete interviewer and it really just being focused on a person it is such a complex disorder that it uproots and causes turmoil in the lives that you know that don't make sense but i really hope that this podcast can really help yeah i would say that my hope for this podcast i do want it to grow I do want it to be a space for people to come and listen and hopefully relate to some extent and say, oh my gosh, this person has been, I mean, I wouldn't say the word recovery, but this person, I don't know what terms are used within the bipolar community, but uh, this person has been okay for the past five years and has been compliant with their medication and their story sounds just like mine. So I feel more confident in you know, what I need to do next, you know, this has given me the power to do something next or not, you know, sometimes for some people, it is just listening in and having that moment to themselves. Um, I guess, for some people, possibly really sitting with it and saying, I am bipolar, I can relate to this. Let me keep listening, I want to hear the next person's story. You know, I guess it depends. Um, so my hope for it is just to grow. And hopefully just be a safe space for people so i'm very i'm very much looking forward to meeting people i think that's that's my main my main thing yeah our first guest today is carly um so i'm personally really thankful that she's willing to go first i mean it's that's kind brave. of yeah it's, it's so thankful that people are even willing to participate i always have this weird notion in my head and it's definitely from complex trauma ptsd um that and and that's and this is a very normal like mindset for me that i just assume that no one really cares or listens to me and that's actually one of the reasons why i felt like oh a podcast and it's given me a lot of anxiety to even get to this point I, and sabrina you yeah. can attest to this um and how Most long certainly. it's 
Yeah, from like how long I even brought this up to you to like where we're at now. You know, it's been almost six months of like us talking about it, us trying to get a, and so I think part of it is because I am bipolar and the anxiety of putting myself out there is just so overwhelming to me. And that's actually, my real name is obviously not Gritty Gem. I, that's not my government name at all, but <laughs> I think I think that was one of the reasons why I chose an artist name versus using my real name is because I need still protection for me, myself. Mm. But, but I really appreciate Carly and her attitude and her, and her, you know, we just talked to her for about five minutes before we started the podcast. So we really don't know anything about her or her journey. So that's, I'm so excited just to hear about it. It takes someone who's very courageous to be willing to be the very first participant on a podcast that people may or may not actually listen to at some point, right? <laughs> like, uh, like it could completely blow up and she's on it. You know what I mean? Like, or people like notice her voice, whatever the case is. So I think that it's super brave. Uh, to take that step, but I'm really grateful for it. Um, because Carly can see a vision. Yeah, um, and I think yeah, and and we really do. We should actually really make it a big point to say that if you don't, if you like to share your story and your journey, but you really don't want to put yourself in a position that you'd be identifiable, we actually do have a resource that. We can help you cover your voice. We do have ability to keep you more anonymous. Being bipolar is really difficult to admit to a lot of people because they'll have jobs that maybe they don't know, family members that might not know, or whatever. Whatever the case may be, ultimately, we don't personally care, Karina and myself. Um, We just are more interested in your story and helping people in the long term understand that Bipolar disorder is disabil- is is a disability, but it shouldn't define you as a person. Um, and that's what yeah. I really hope that we learn from these stories, that it didn't define people. It, even the journeys into being bipolar, but they're still really significant in understanding of, like, how you can get there. Because if it's a recent thing, then, you know, it gives people yeah. – I would hope that it gives people hope that are suffering right now and be like it was like a year ago this person was like suffering because sometimes when a person has been stable for like 10 15 years or whatever it's hard to see that connection or how to bridge that that stability because it is really hard medication coping mechanisms support systems um peer support those are all combinations in order for us to maintain a healthy lifestyle, and we just have to do it times 10, times right. 100 um, as a bipolar person just to function normally. And if you can function normally as a bipolar person, you are a more of a rarity than the norm. And that's actually why I think this podcast, I hope, would be beneficial because bipolar disorder is a spectrum. So it really is something that I really personally hope that people can learn and feel a little less alone, I think. Couldn't have said it better myself. I would like to introduce our very first guest, Carly. Hi, my name is Carly, and I am bipolar. I'm 34 years old, and I am on Vraylar, 
I am on Klonopin, and I am on a intermediate dose of Depakote in order to manage hypomanic episodes. I was diagnosed nine years ago, which was far too long, in my opinion. Um, I was looking back, and 12 years yesterday, I had my first um, sleep study, which concluded that I was an insomniac, and they couldn't figure out why. Um, that should have been a clue for my psychiatrist, who I had been seeing for about four years at the time. Um, I had already been inpatient twice before diagnosed. Um, my inpatient experience was actually extremely positive. I went to a, um, a very cushy inpatient facility, I won't lie. Um, but we were given all sorts of tools, such as art therapy, a personal trainer. I went rock climbing weekly, um, you know, excursions such as sailing, equine therapy, um, as in addition to the talk therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, focusing on psychoanalysis in this particular facility. Um, and I've always had a therapist who was in that kind of realm. Um, but the things that really were concerning to me were that at a very young age, um, I was always obsessed with death, but very afraid of it. I was a very anxious child starting at even five. You know, I would have these like almost delusions of something awful happening to me that were not normal. Um, and nobody really saw that. Like, I remember that my mom would joke. She was like, oh, you know, she just kicks the back of the chair and she's so angry and she's, you know, it's so funny that she's so upset about school because nobody will play with her. And that was a cue to me that something was going on. Like, while everybody else was having princess parties, I was afraid at my own monster party. You know, um, that's another cue. Like, something's wrong. Um, I remember in high school, I was consistently struggling socially. Um, I was very impulsive. I had no filter. Um, they put me on ADHD medication. That did not help. Um, I saw multiple psychologists. One even fell asleep on me. Um, so that was a very scarring experience because I never wanted to go back again. So I just lied through my teeth. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, I began to restrict eating. Um, I began to have harmful behaviors. Um, just to even see my caregivers like, hey, hello, like something's wrong. And it was mostly ignored. Um, they would seek very poor help for me. Like the psychiatrist that fell asleep on me uh, every session. Um, and I never got the help I needed until 2014 when they finally put me on a antipsychotic, Wachita, um, and that was helpful, but I gained 70 pounds. And it was a weight-neutral drug, so nobody was listening to me as this, like, former anorexic 
person was gaining 70 pounds and I got worse and worse and worse. I got into abusive relationships. Um, I couldn't see my way out. Um, I fired my psychiatrist because he was not listening to me about the weight. Um, I got a new psychiatrist in 2018. She thought that I mostly suffered from suicidal ideation. And so she put me on three antidepressants and a um, stimulant, which if you know anything about, about bipolar, is going to send you into a manic episode. And that's exactly what happened. And that was the scariest time of my life. I don't remember him. Um, I had no filter. This entire community that when I was inpatient, which I did go inpatient, very soon into my mania. I recognized it immediately. Um, I The entire community was very annoyed by me because I, I could not stop talking and violating boundaries. I have not had a manic episode since that incident because they realized that I need an antipsychotic and no antidepressants. I started transcranial magnetic stimulation. Um, it failed three times. Um, where I went through three cycles, where I went every single day um, for about four to eight weeks, depending on how they were feeling at the time about my diagnosis. And they finally, I finally went inpatient one last time, and they said there's this thing called a maintenance dose for people with bipolar 2, which is what my diagnosis is. And so I started my maintenance dose, and I started a brand new antipsychotic, which was Raylar. Um, they put me on clonopin for anxiety because it was uh, before the pandemic, but I was showing signs of anxious behaviors with a very toxic work environment. Um, I, because I am duly certified um, in both speech-language pathology and applied behavior analysis, so with two masters, I had given up the thought of ever being a speech pathologist again because of how anxious I was and was only working as a registered behavior technician working towards my masters at the time. And um, I remember just feeling very undervalued um, financially, emotionally, physically, 40-hour work weeks, no breaks, no lunches, nothing. I was injured constantly. I solved trauma responses from the kids. I finally got out of there, and I felt a weight lifted. Um, I have not gone back to inpatient since. Um, we realized that all I really needed was, like, a tiny dose of Klonopin, the Raylar, and when I had to, I had an alt a life-altering experience where I went hypomanic. And I realized that I was getting hypomanic. So I had a great new psychiatrist who prescribed Depakote at a low dose. And we managed together to figure out when I'm starting to get a little bit higher than usual. Like, I'm on it right now because, once again, I'm in a life-altering situation, <laughs> and um, we need to manage. We need to manage. There's no shame in that. Um, you know, at first, it was a little 
scary for me to be on death row because it's a very strong language that punished, but it was so helpful and I had so little side effects that I'm like, bring it, bring it. You know, I'm so stable now. You know, I'm actually going for my clinical doctorate in speech at Northwestern. Um, I hear any second. So like my urge to go to my phone and check my email because they said they would tell me by March is very strong. Um, but no, I, um, I'm extremely proud of myself for how far I've come. It's, it's been from the very pits of suicidal ideation and awful, awful mania to the drug-induced nonsense from the psychiatrist um, to somebody who can really see herself, who is persistent, confident, um, knowledgeable. Um, you know, I feel that every day I can wake up and tackle what the day needs to bring, like what actually bring it brings to me, you know, whether that be what I'm going through right now is filing a CPS report or whether it's a happy day where like a kid finally says it's his first word. So, you know, I, I feel as though if I had to send a message to people with bipolar, it would be seek out your team, seek out your resources, because I know it's hard to find the right provider, but stick with it. Sometimes the first person isn't the right person, but you will find somebody eventually, and you will find the right drug. And there are alternative methods out there like transcranial magnetic stimulation, ketamine, you know, there are several things that you can try that are beneficial. And don't give up because if somebody that's that, if somebody like me who had so much suicidal ideation can get two master's degrees and a potential doctorate, then you can succeed too. So thank you. I'm unmuted now. Is that okay? Yeah. You did so well. Thank you. Oh Thank God, you. Yeah, powerful. no. Thank you. I was about to say, I was like, I was, she's, I was like, oh, I'm glad we're on mute because I was like, oh, I'm in Chicago too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I hope I get in. I'm, I'm mm. so excited for the prospect. Are you living there now, or are you? No. Mm, no, I. It's an online asynchronous program, so I have to go three oh, okay. times, twice to defend, oh, okay. and then once just like for funsies for orientation. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that starts in June. Wow, uh -oh. that's really close. Yeah. A lot closer than we think. Spring is literally around the corner, so. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get in. Thank you. You are. You are. My interview and went really well. Yeah. You're extremely well-spoken, and you're so aware, and uh, just educated, and you're going to do wonderful. Thank Honestly. you. Well, is there anything that you would tell your your past self knowing what you know now um just uh what would you say now if you approach them your you know your 17 year old 18 year old you don't let the haters bring you down because i was bullied 
all throughout high school. And it really affected my confidence and my ability to get through the day and through each situation that was brought my way. I was still academically extremely successful. Mm. However, I, I let them make me who I was. And I would say, be you, be confident, and let yourself sit in your emotions, figure it out, and don't be afraid of them. Process them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of processing. That's that's one of the hardest parts is that you don't know that you're not processing because you just assume that's normal. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of, and there's a lot of cognitive distortions that a lot of people have that even just like having a simple interaction with like a grocery store clerk and you just think that they hate you because you had, they might say like one, one monotone thing and it's like, you just take it. Like the app, like it just ruins your day sometimes. And it's, it's so illogical. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that's how I was back then. And now for me, like I can have somebody scream at me, yell at me, whatever, because I get parents who get real angry at me real fast. And I'm like, I I can take it. I understand you're under a lot of stress. If I had your situation, I would be overwhelmed too. You know, so I sit in that compassion instead of getting angry back. Right. Do you think that, uh, just a random question, do you think your education actually helped you be able to process things a lot more because you're, you were forced to kind of start seeing more of a, I don't know if you had psychology based or anything like that, but do you feel like school helped you process a lot of things um, to help you get kind of get past things as well? That's a great question. What's really interesting is that I almost was kicked out of my first program because they told me to quote unquote put my anxiety in a box and leave it outside the clinic. And I was late often because my anxiety was building up and building up and building up and building up and I was sleeping and sleeping and sleeping and sleeping through the day and not at night. And um, I got all my schoolwork done. I got straight A's. That wasn't the problem. The problem was my anxiety in entering the space where there was several judgmental statements thrown at my way any given day. And um, graduate school for preclinical psychology is extremely difficult. It is extremely difficult and is often unfair, especially to those that are minorities. And um, I have a lot to say about that, but I won't. Um, but And my dissertation is actually about that. Um, however, I had to get a lawyer to get my rights to my own clinical placement in order to get through graduate school, which by the way, I ate once I was out of that environment. Hell yeah. Yeah. Excuse my language. (laughs) (laughs) I I just think that a lot of, one of the biggest problems with bipolar people is lack of support. Once you have that, like support system which is meds having a healthy like routine healthy like in a healthy surrounding of people i'm not talking about one or two people but like people that will support you help you through school resources 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 like that's that changes the game i think that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of that once you start asking for help it becomes so much easier 
because you get over that stigma and you realize that once you do ask for help, like it just becomes, it becomes second nature almost because you finally got that little bit of that. That's, that's the hardest part. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people struggle with because it took me a couple of times of like being like getting professional help before I like really like let it start actually stop fighting it and letting it actually do its job. So there's a lot of fighting involved with a lot of people with bipolar, you know, obviously um, a lot of people are self-denial, a lot of, a lot of in, like no support, like not even knowing what it is, thinking that's just normal, that this is like, this is how life is supposed to be. Um, especially having that negative thought set too, where it's not, you realize, I didn't realize that my negative thought, my mindset was different until I started talking to people when I was older and I was like, oh, you're happy because <laughs> you grew up in a happy yeah. environment. <laughs> You're like, what right. is that? I want to learn a little more about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think that's what that things. your normal day-to-day. Yeah. <laughs> and so some people, they hear what that normal day-to-day looks like, and they're like, that sounds peaceful but boring, but I'm curious, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I, I, I love, I think my parents do the best that they could, you know, because my brother is bipolar as well, and he's bipolar one, and he does not seek help. He does not seek help, and he has had so much difficulty. He's gotten much, much, much better at advocating for himself, but it's taken so long that I've – and it's taken me being a third parent, which is so toxic, that I no longer have a relationship with him because I was the third parent, and I had to be because my parents were struggling with two kids with bipolar, and, and my brother also has multiple learning disabilities, so getting him through high school was, like, you know, hurting cat, you know? So I, I feel for them um, completely. They did the best with what they could. Right. It sounds like there was a unfair um, positioning for yourself, though, if that makes yeah. sense, you know? Because you couldn't even... You know, we're talking about sitting and processing our emotions and everything, right? But then you had, during this huge developmental developmental portion of your life, you weren't able to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unfair for you. Yeah, and I did address them eventually in family therapy. And I think that they realized that I feel this way, but it's not always acknowledged on a, a regular basis. I think that it's really, really hard for them to recognize, and I understand that, because, like, they're of a different generation, they, um, you know, they, I know they love me, I know they love me, it's just so hard, it, we joke, my therapist and I, my therapist and I joke, like, we're like, the I'm proud, it's so hard to get out of my mom's mouth, for example, I'm she can't say it. She can't say it. She, she, I, I joked with her when she did finally compliment me for something. I was like, that's the first thing you've said to me in a year. You know, like we have, we have a relationship that's so tough because it's been constantly revolved around crisis. Right. So you don't know what to do when there's some form of calm, maybe sometime or, Mm -hmm. yeah. And now that I'm a grown adult without crisis, and I'm actually helping with certain situations. They're like, what do we do? What do you do? Right. You know? 
that's a whole other obstacle, you know, mm-hmm. or you know something else to figure out how to get through. Yeah. All bipolar people have a very dysfunctional family dynamic. I just, I can't think of anyone that wouldn't because a lot, this is, I mean, it's not only genetic. It does stimulate from environment a lot of it too, because I I personally can tell you exactly when that moment changed in my life where I had this like moment where I say everything changed. And, and, but it's, it's a family event that my family has never gotten over and still hasn't gotten over. And my parents have been married for 40 years this month. So that just, but let's keep that in mind that 40 years and my parents are still married and we're 24 years into a conflict. Like that family dynamic is, yep. it's tough. And I think, but a lot of people don't realize that it's a very normal thing in bipolar. We just have to all understand each other in a de- way that neurodiversity, because they, they see you, you look normal, you, you act normal but your brain isn't and they don't see it. And then that's where the disconnect is because they don't see it. They don't believe it. And it's kind of like, Oh, you're making these things up sometimes like, Oh, you want attention or, Oh, you just, you're just acting out in reality. It's not something you mean to do. It's not something you want to control. It's like, you want to be a, you want to be a good person, but it's like so beyond what you can do that it's impossible to, you don't even know how to react sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think that now that I've set solid boundaries and realized to be in my own peace around them, like, you can't knock me down. I'm not going to go into hypomania because of what you said. Right? Like, now I've realized that I can stand in my own truth and not everything's about my bipolar. I'm not always crazy I'm not always looking for attention because I'm doing something wrong right because the reality of the situation is life is life things happen and I have been through the ringer and when things do happen sometimes they can't hold space for it because they assume it's the bipolar right well, they jump into that conclusion, right? Without realizing that you are just a person who naturally has emotions, and mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people want to use that uh, as an excuse, like so that they don't need to take accountability for their own actions either, you know. So, um, well, I'm gonna. I'll ask one last question before I let you go. I don't want to keep you too long, but um, with relationships, how do you feel like it's affected your relationships throughout the years? That's a big, heavy question. Yeah, so for me, I had so little confidence that I was just in toxic, abusive relationships after abusive relationship, whether it be physical, mental, emotional. Um, I've just never seen, and I wanted to even marry somebody who psychologically abused me. And when he walked out the door finally, right, I said, I think this relationship is abusive. And he said, you want to be abused. And that was my, that was my check. Yep, you're an abuser. So um, that was really a wake up moment for me to be like, okay, we're going to, we're going to make some solid choices. We're going to be by ourselves for a while. We're going to become independent. We're going to become confident. We're going to do things that are a little scary. And so 
I did things by myself for quite some time and built up the confidence just to get myself out there by myself, have dinner, go to a movie, read a book in a public place. And I finally met my husband after he actually pursued me for 12 years and I, I denied him for 12 years. And then he said, I will take you to a Ravens game. And I was like, "Eh, okay. And, you know, it it hasn't been easy, but I love him more than the world. And, you know, I am so grateful that I said yes just to that. Because even though we've been through so much together, I wouldn't have it any other way. Sounds like you found your person. I did. I did. I mean, he can be annoying as crap, but I still love him. That's real, then. Yep. Yep. Are you laughing because we agree, Jen? Or like... <laughs> Jenny, I'm you know, sorry. They put up... No, it's okay. People <laughs> have, you know, when people are bipolar, they put with spouses and significant others, and they're putting up with a lot, a lot, a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of sometimes anger that might not necessarily be directed towards them but it comes out that way and it's not and it's not especially like you probably argue but you never say anything mean towards the person or a bad thing about them you just the tone of your voice you're like how you project it but at the end of the day like as long as you kind of like you just have people can get mad at you for having like an angry tone but people will get really mad at you when you call them names (laughs) so and I won't so. lie, we've been in couples therapy for several years because we both have disorganized attachment systems. Mm. He has medical trauma from being, um, he has Glissade's disease, which is actually terminal for most people, but he lived to 35. So he was in the hospital for 127 days, um, and, you know, he really went through a lot, and that was when he was eight. Okay, so, and it just got more and more complicated as time went on. And so he has a disorganized attachment system. I have a disorganized attachment system. So we've been in couples therapy and we're not afraid to be in couples therapy. There's no shame in that. You know, we might be doing really well, but we still show up. You know, and if you need help in your relationship, again, seek help. Because just because you don't have to be bipolar or or have medical trauma or whatever or something as extreme as we have to seek help too oh yeah yeah i agree i think everybody needs a therapist i might be a little biased (laughs) Um, but um just being in therapy myself but um i think even if your life is uh quote-unquote boring right um and you have nothing going on like it's still a good thing to have a therapist and just to tell someone yeah I went on three walks last week I didn't really do anything whatever the case was you know so I agree I you know no shame in the therapy game you know no never never I agree with you I think everybody needs therapy like everybody yeah or some form of therapy too because I know a lot of people will probably hear like oh and just be like I don't like talk therapy like these people are wrong, but, um, you know, there's art therapy, there's music therapy, there, there's all yeah. forms of it that doesn't need to be sitting in a room with a therapist, so. Do you ever try brain, do you ever try brain spotting? Just a curiosity. Brain spotting? Yeah. I have never heard that term, and I've been through every therapy I know of. 
life changing. It changed my life. So okay. I heard about. I I worked at the VA and they did a. They had a clinical video of it, and it's um it's a form of EMDR, but it's more like more. Uh, it's quicker. It's safer for children. It is uh it's life changing, um and it's not as well known because it is a form of EMDR, but it's processing your trauma through bilateral. Um, so it's like essentially I'm gonna give the 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 short like the layman's term version. It's basically opening up your brain, your like the middle of your brain, because your left side holds the negativity, your right side holds the positivity, but the right left side always wins in any battle. So what it does is basically opening the the door between the two hemispheres, and like letting that light in, so you can like slowly, but it releases the physical trauma as well. So it releases. So it's it's fascinating. So um, they did a study with uh, this is why why I did it with the Sandy Hook survivors, like the families and things like that, and they had 20, about 20 different therapies. It was the most effective therapy for the survivors with PTSD. It is life-changing. I did it, I, I did it for like six months, and it changed my life. It, like, it changes your life because it released a lot of the physical trauma and things I didn't even know was there because I had suppressed it forever. And it literally, like, like you're just looking at it things, and it's just... Um, you basically find the spot, they'll find the spot, and then they'll just you listen to um, special music, and it's a newer therapy started in the early two early two thousands by this guy named David Price, and he is a sports coach therapist thing, and why it started is because he this is there was an ice skater that he was working with, and she knew everything and was so good at everything, but could not master one move that was super basic that everyone could do, and she shouldn't be able to do it. So he noticed that her eyes were like wiggling. So she, like, he noticed something that no one else noticed. And so he took that and he, like, basically allowed her, there was something, there was trauma there. So it was basically allowing her to get out of that trauma. So it's just fascinating, though. And it really does work. There's a lot, there's actually quite a number bit of science behind it. Highly recommend it, especially with the trauma. Um, they're not as common. You could do it online too, so you can find a provider pretty easily. You just have to find them, and there are easy. It's easier to get a therapy session since no one really knows it, but it's very, very helpful in dealing with very complex trauma. So, I recommend it. You don't have to, but I'm just saying that it was. Uh, um, it definitely helped me with because I, I felt stuck in therapy for a, for a long time because I had kind of like reached an end uh, with my psychiatrist, and I was like, "There's something that I'm missing," and I tried it. And it was like, I haven't had to, to be in therapy too much since because I was like, I kind of released a lot of the trauma and like a lot of the processes. And like, I was like, I'm so stable right now, right now. But I was like, I can't have a therapist right now because of various reasons. And I was like, well, at least it allowed me to um, kind of like let go of a lot of the, like the stressors and like things like that. Because you'll, you'll start crying and sobbing and you'll don't know why. <laughs> And it's it's such a release though because and you're exhausted after you're literally just emotionally drained, but it's also used for creativity. It's unlocking a lot of yeah. It's used for creativity too. People oh, like fun. yeah. It's a great therapy. I really think that we could use a lot more of it and releasing the and processing like that that deep, um, you know, psychological trauma and that led to physical trauma because we forget that they're connected. And a lot of anxiety and inflammation and 
things like that cause the fight or flight. I mean, I, I mean, I could talk about this forever, but I won't. But yeah. I just think that you should, as a someone who's bipolar, I, I highly recommend just checking out brain spotting as a therapy to see if it's an interest. I'm not, I'm not a brain spotting therapist, but I felt like it was really helpful. And that, that Sandy Hook was the stat. They tasted like they had like about a thousand people in the study. It was like 70%, 80% effective. Um, so yeah, it's incredible. And it's incredible therapy. Because so, I've been through EMDR. Right? Same thing, but it's a little bit different though. Yes, yes. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that. And EMDR helped for the one incident. However, I have CPTSD. Mm. So I I have so much that I hold in my body. I read The Body Keeps the Score. I know the deal. Right? I I thought about ART, you know, but they they also don't recommend that for CPTSD. So I've been working through my trauma with a yoga therapist, with a talk therapist, with my psychiatrist who's a psychoanalyst and a psychiatrist, with an art therapist, right? Like, I have all the therapists, and I see them on a regular basis. I like that you utilize all your resources. There's just even more power to what you were saying earlier, um, you know, to other bipolar people. Like, find your providers. (laughs) Yes. Yes, and I've been with them for a long time now. And so we have such a rapport that I I can go and I can just be like, hey, by the way, I'm feeling X, Y, Z, and I think I'm a little off. Let's figure out why. And they're, like, on it, you know? They're like, oh, it was this moment. You're going back to the past in in this moment, and you're a child Carly or you're middle-aged, not middle-aged Carly, that doesn't work. But um, your, you know, college Carly, your, or we call it F up Carly when I slept through my alarm in grad school and had to redo my clinicals. Right? So. (laughs) That sounds like a bad day. Um, Yep. Yeah, no, it sounds like your providers are very in tune with you and they're very aware, you know, and that's important. And. Again, if we go back to that burnout that we were talking about earlier when you were talking about the social workers that you know, right? Um, yes. Going for all providers, right? So it's so great that you have such a strong team. Yes. That's important. I'm, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank You're you. welcome. Yeah, you've been, you have been tremendously amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. I, I, we really hope you get, like, I'm so excited. Northwestern, good luck. Thank yes, you. Yes, good luck. Thank you. Best wishes. Thank you. It's me, Gritty Gem. I'm actually recording this at a different time. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode. I know the audio quality on my end wasn't that great. Going forward, it'll be better. Um, going forward, the podcast will get better. We're going to just learn and grow. And hopefully this will be a really sustaining thing. The podcast is going to be released every Wednesday. You can check us out on TikTok, Instagram, at Bipolar AF Podcast. Until Wednesday, thank you.